Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. look at Matthew chapter 2, our gospel reading. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and <laughs> worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks. Happy New Year. Anybody else think it's Happy New Year? Happy New Year? It's also Happy Epiphany. 
Yesterday was January 6th. That's the day of epiphany. Now, an epiphany is a recognition of something profound. For example, a young adult might have an epiphany one day when they're now, that they're now an adult. <laughs> They've got all the privileges, they can drive the car and all the responsibilities. They've got to pay the insurance. All the responsibilities of being an adult. A man may wake up one morning bleary-eyed after spending a night at the hospital with his wife who's just given birth and suddenly realize he's now a father. And there's a lot of things that have to be taught that little child. A young woman might run into this unknown man at McDonald's and trumpets sound. And she suddenly realizes that this is the man that she's going to marry. And what all these examples have in common is the recognition of something profound. The realization that things will never ever be the same again. Today we've got a story of faith and a story of fear. So often in our life, you know, we let fear control our actions. Fear is the way of the world. But the way of Christ is the way of faith. And with faith in Christ and God, there's never reason to fear. Our only fear should be a healthy fear and respect for God's power, but never a fear for God's love for us. Now today's readings are a description of the events of Epiphany. What the, the Old Testament reading was a forecast of that day. And then we have more readings about the day that several men arrived bearing gifts at Mary's house where she was with Jesus. It was the day those men worshipped Jesus as king, as priest, and God on the earth. And Mary knew that things would never again be the same. Things profoundly changed that day for her and for us. This passage, though, is the ultimate test of why we should not trust popular ideas about Bible stories, but instead we actually should sit down and read them. Let's look at what the passage actually says, together with a couple of other passages, and put together what actually happened according to the Bible. Notice how it started. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there's no claim that this happened on the night of Jesus' birth. In fact, there is a follow-on story about the escape to Egypt and the slaughter of the innocents in verses 13 through 16. Here, it implies that Jesus was born several months earlier, as many as two years, for Herod sends out the word to kill the baby, all the baby boys who were born two years old, two years and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So the Magi, the wise men, did not arrive on the night Jesus was born, but much later, as many as two years later, Herod the Great is the king of Judea at this time. Now Herod's father had been appointed by Julius Caesar to look after the domestic affairs of Judea, the area that includes Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And after his father's death, Herod was confirmed as king of the Jews by the Roman Senate in 41 BC. Herod was not a nice guy. He understood that his rule 
depended upon a lack of trouble between the Jews and the Romans. So he was very, very quick to remove any troublemakers that he possibly came across. And he removed them permanently. One day, a group of magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, it's likely that these magi, which traditionally is translated as wise men, they were members of the same group of scholars that the prophet Daniel had belonged to some 500 years earlier. They were almost certainly not kings. We get that idea from the Isaiah passage in verse 3, which says that kings will come before him. But most people think that that verse really applies to the second coming in our future. And of course the popular song, We Three Kings, that's firmly put that into our popular imagination, hasn't it? Well, though they may have been Jewish, in fact they were probably Jewish, living in Babylon after many Jews had moved back to Jerusalem. Or they might have been part of many other tribes of people who had come to the great cosmopolitan city of Babylon over the centuries. But one thing that is clear is that they had studied the prophecies given to Daniel by Gabriel, what we call the book of Daniel, which gave a specific timeline for the birth of the Messiah, the great Savior who would return and save all the people of Jerusalem and many other people. 69 times 7 years, 69 sevens had passed since Jerusalem was rebuilt, 483 years. And according to the Daniel prophecy, it was time, it was time for the Messiah to arrive. And so when the new star appeared in the west, the men climbed on their camels and they began the long 900 mile trip to Jerusalem. They didn't just show up in Jerusalem. They had studied their Bible carefully beforehand, before they set off. They had great faith in the promises of God and the messages brought to Daniel by the angel Gabriel. How many were there? Well, that tradition of there being three men dates from a fourth, a fourth century story. The Bible doesn't really say. There may have been a dozen of them. Certainly there were at least a dozen men who traveled together simply for defense against bandits. There may have been even more. But the, if you go to the Eastern churches, the churches that come from Antioch where Paul and Silas and Barnabas all taught, they have a tradition that it was a dozen magi. So six months, a year, year and a half, maybe two years after Jesus' birth, a group of men from the east came to Jerusalem and began asking around, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Well, naturally this upset King Herod because after all, the Roman Senate had said that he was king of the Jews. There could only be one king, so if somebody else was going to be king of the Jews, that meant that he wasn't. And that probably meant not only was he going to lose his throne, he was going to lose his life. Well, Herod lived by fear. He was always fearful of somebody or the other. And in the second phrase at this passage, we also get that little bit there that convinced many scholars that the Magi were Jewish because they had come to worship the baby. They'd come to worship him. 
Now Herod was upset and he was disturbed and rumors began to fly in Jerusalem, probably going back to that old woman Anna, the, the very old woman in the temple who had spoken about Jesus as the Messiah to anyone who would listen when Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple just after his birth. This visit by these men from the east and their question about the king of the Jews was the political news of the day. The rumor spread because, you see, Herod was not well-liked. In fact, there were many in Jerusalem who positively hated Herod. They hated him because he was not born Jewish. They hated him because of the tax money he took to expand the temple and all the gold and gem decorations he bought and put on them. They hated him because many people had relatives that he had killed. They hated him because he worked closely with the Romans. And they hated him because he wasn't descended from David, the rightful family of the kings of Judea. And they hated him because he had a fancy palace and a fancy summer palace outside Jericho. But mostly, they hated him for the simple fact that he was a mean and nasty man, a man who tortured and killed many people. And so the rumor spread, was there going to be a rebellion? Would God take out Herod? Where and who was this new king going to be? And fear began to spread of upheaval, but hope also spread because things were going to change. It's easy for us to understand fearful and hopeful political rumors. Look at what happened this past fall. Whenever a new name was floated as possibly entering the presidential race, it happens when the existing ruler and those who are most expected to replace him both have poor approval ratings. And Herod would have had terrible approval ratings if those polls could have been published or even taken. When all the known candidates for a job are highly flawed, then people search fearfully and desperately for a new option, another man or woman who can step in. For the little-known candidate, you see, is often, often seen to be better than the known candidates who have many enemies. And Herod had many enemies. So who was going to replace him? Who was this young king of the Jews that had just been born? Well, Herod didn't know, but he fearfully decided to take some preventative action like dictators throughout the centuries always have when they get fearful. He called together all the chief priests and all the teachers of the law and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born and they responded, that's an easy question. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem in Judea because that's what was written in Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now you know this could have referred to King David. It sure sounds like King David, except it was definitely written 600 years after King David had died. And so when people heard about Bethlehem and the prophecy, they remembered those rumors of a man and a woman and a child that had come to Jerusalem for the boy to be dedicated at the temple a couple years before. The boy that old Anna, who had tremendous faith in him and told everybody about him, that little boy that, they kept, that she just kept talking about. So understanding that Messiah was born in Bethlehem from reliable sources, King Herod called the Magi into a secret conference and found out exactly when 
the star had appeared. It's about two years ago. He told them to go to Bethlehem to search carefully for the boy. Look for that boy. And he told them to report back to Herod so that he could also go and worship him. Of course, Herod, in his fear, he planned to kill the boy. So the Magi faithfully loaded up the camels and they took the short four or five mile trip to Bethlehem, took about maybe, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. They once again were faithfully following that star. It stopped over a house. Joseph, who was a carpenter, had likely found work in the town and built a house and continued working in the area of Bethlehem. After all, even then, you know, the, a carpenter's going to go where there's work, and the area was a suburb of Jerusalem. There was plenty of work in the area. The Magi celebrated. Their search was over, and their faith had been rewarded. They went to the house, and they saw the child with Mary, and then they did something unheard of. They bowed down, and they worshipped him in deep faith. They recognized something deeply profound. This little child was the future king, the future Messiah, God on the earth. Their long, long journey of faith to find the Savior they knew was out there somewhere had been satisfied. And you may be looking for the Savior, and that will be satisfied too. You can imagine the shock for Mary when these strangers arrived. They spoke with a strange accent. They were bowing down in front of her son. Sometimes, you know, our children surprise us with the respect that others show them. We don't have that much respect, but others do. And then the Magi opened their gifts for Jesus. The first gift was gold, the sort of gift that you give a king so he can hire soldiers, buy swords and chariots, and generally equip an army. Of course, gold can also buy food and clothing and transportation. It can be used to hire servants, to pay for housing and education. Gold's very useful if you need to buy almost anything. But it was often the gift that people gave to a king that they had faith in. Because gold makes the king and his kingdom much stronger. Even today, kings collect taxes. And kings and, uh, and presidents, they give cash to each other as gifts. We call this today foreign aid. And the purpose is to strengthen the receiving kingdom and make friends. It was the same back in those days. You gave gold to a king that you, who's, who you wanted to strengthen. Another gift was frankincense. This incense is the dried sap of a tree that grows on the eastern coast of Arabia. It makes a really sweet smell when you burn it. It makes a good perfume, but it was commonly used in most temples for a little different purpose. It was to cover up the smell of the blood that was rotting in the corners of the temple from sacrificed animals. It was the sort of gift that you gave to a priest in the old days. For incense was burnt in the temples of the world. You gave frankincense to the priest to help bring together people with God. It was a sacrifice. Even today in many religions, including many Christian groups, incense is burned to signify faith that a priest is giving a sacrifice and the prayers are going up to God like the smoke of the incense. And the third gift was myrrh. Well, myrrh is also the dried sap.
of a tree from the, Af from the Arabian coast. But the smell of myrrh is darker. It's not sweet. Reminds us of what it was used for. Myrrh was commonly mixed into embalming coatings to cover up the smell of death. It wasn't used during the sacrifices. It was used during the funerals. In many religions, it began to signify the movement from this life into the next. When you smelled it, you thought about moving into the next life. It was a sort of gift that was given to the man who led the funeral, who accepted it and used it on behalf of the God who would receive the dead person into the next life. So myrrh was a gift given to a God who had the power over life and death and in faith and trust that that God would lead you into a new life. So the gifts tell us that the Magi faithfully considered this little child to be a king, to be a high priest, and to be God on the earth. We should also consider Jesus to be our king, our high priest, and our God on the earth, the very word of God. As John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Joseph, well, Joseph's nowhere about that day. But he does return in the next few verses. So most people think that Joe was off working on a job nearby, perhaps in Bethlehem or maybe in Jerusalem, only an hour and a half away, remember. Carpenters always have work. They go where the jobs are, right? Well, after their visit, the Magi rested, and at least one of them had a dream. It was a disturbing dream. The dream told them that Herod had dangerous plans for them or the child, so having more faith in the dream than in Herod, they decided to go home by a different route and bypass Jerusalem and Herod, which was easy enough. And meanwhile, Joseph had another dream himself. And in the dream, he's warned by an angel to get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. The angel went on, stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph woke up. He'd had a nightmare. He woke up. Having faith, though, in this angelic dream, they all left town that night for Egypt, where the gold undoubtedly helped the family out. They stayed there a year or so until Herod died, which fulfilled the prophecy from Hosea 11, out of Egypt I called my son. Back in Jerusalem, Herod realized that the Magi had outsmarted him. He was furious, and in his fear, he decided not to take any chances at all. He sent soldiers with orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in the area who were two years old and under because of the time he'd learned from the Magi of the appearance of the star. And this fulfilled a prophecy from Jeremiah 31. A voice is, held, is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they're no more. Ramah is the area near Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Rachel was the favorite wife of Jacob, the man who was later called Israel. And she was also the mother of Joseph and Benjamin, and her tomb is located in Bethlehem. But that day, Herod was frustrated in his plans because of their faith Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they were long gone. They were living in Egypt, traditionally in Alexandria's Jewish community. Well, Herod died a year or so later. 
And Joseph received another dream from the angel who told him it was now safe to return. So in faith, they headed back toward Jerusalem. However, as they approached town, Joseph heard that Herod Archelaus, Herod the great son, was now ruling. And Archelaus had that same disease of fear that his father had had. And because of his fear, he'd already killed 3,000 Jews one night at the temple because they protested against his father's fearful slaying of 40 students and two teachers who were killed in turn because they chopped down a golden eagle that the old king had placed over the temple entrance. So Joseph, understanding the character of Archelaus, chose to skip Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and he headed north to Galilee, where he settled with Mary and Jesus in a village called Nazareth, near a Roman camp who often hired Jewish craftsmen, and there they stayed at least until Jesus was 12 years old. Now we often focus on Mary an awful lot during the years that Jesus was an infant and a toddler. But Joseph shows his great wisdom and faith and desire to listen to God's messengers and do what was best for the child with his actions. From Joseph's initial fearful worries about who the father of Mary's child was, Joseph turns completely Papa Bear when he has his first angelic dream protecting the child. He takes his future dreams seriously with faith as well. He picks up in the middle of the night for Egypt. He returns after a dream, even using his human wisdom and faith in God's protection to move to Nazareth instead of back to the house he built in Bethlehem. Matthew tells us that even, his, even that final movement fulfilled prophecy because the prophets had said he would be called a Nazarene. Joseph's example is something that we can learn from. For so often, we're warned of bad times coming in dreams or bad things, and by the whisper of the Holy Spirit, and we're told of good times coming in the same way. But we don't listen. Joseph listened. He became closer and closer to God in this way by listening to the dreams and the voice. His faith kept growing and his fear kept falling away. His life improved. We can do this also. Before you go to sleep at night, even tonight, ask God to send you dreams that tell you what to do, to guide you, to give you insight, to warn you of evil and reassure you of good. You may not be entrusted with safeguarding the literal Son of God, but you are entrusted with safeguarding the Word of God and passing it on to the next generation. Ask God for help in passing the Word on to the young people in your life and have faith that God will help you do this. Joseph was a master carpenter. He's one of the best in the business. And he taught Jesus what he knew about building things. You may have worked for somebody who taught you things. Jesus passed on the ideas with ideas like building new homes on firm foundations of rock that he told his disciples about. He didn't just say, uh, make sure that you, you have a stable background. No, he said, build on foundations of rock, like building a house. And on shifting sand, don't build there. That's found in many places. If you build a house on shifting sands, it collapses. Well, building our lives on fear, on the shifting sands of fear, is a recipe for disaster. Building on the solid rock of faith 
in God is how we have a solid foundation. We should always look to learn from the pros also, the masters in a subject, the best teachers we can find. And so this evening and ongoing on Sunday evenings, we'll gather here at 6 p.m. down in the fellowship hall for a light meal. Sam, what are we having for supper? Chicken and noodle, okay. We'll have a discussion of all things Christian. You put forth questions and we'll try to answer them as best we can. I'll be there and Sam will be there and several other people will be there to clarify things that the world has confused about our faith. Everybody's welcome. From the newest to the oldest, feel free to bring children and youth. It'll go on for several weeks here. Bring a friend. And then next Sunday, I'm ah, sorry, not next Sunday, the week after yeah, on the 21st, we'll gather for pizza and have a group of our young people and people new to the church for the new Christian basics and confirmation class. Parents, talk to your children about joining that class. It'll be class open to questions and answers and a lot of rabbit trails to follow, and it should be a lot of fun. And again, friends are also welcome. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.